Welcome to Prime Suspects, where we bring you an insider's look behind the counter of Prime Sports. I'm your host, Matt Landis, joined as always by Joe Brennan Jr. and Adam Bjorn. Guys, first things first, following up on a topic we featured on last week's episode, a big attack surface across pretty much every major sport for an extra long holiday weekend. Between the handle and the hold percentage, did Thanksgiving weekend leave Prime Sports with anything to be thankful for? Generally, it was a decent weekend. I mean, again, for Thanksgiving, poor old Detroit. I mean, ever since I've moved over this side of the world, sort of had a soft spot for them based on my own shitty team that I had growing up. But yeah, there was a lot of action, many games, a lot of favorites covering. Uh, Last night's game was a a good finish to a, a long, long weekend. All right, well, we will get into all of that and then some over the course of this week's episode. And guys, kicking things off from the results of a few days over Thanksgiving weekend to the results of a full month as we peel back the curtain on the latest from Inside Prime Sports. Two days from this episode's release, Prime Sports' second full month in business will be in the books. So guys, I'm curious, anything that you can hint at as far as what we can expect to see in Prime's November numbers? They won't be reporting the November numbers. At the same time the month is closing, Ohio will report the numbers for October. I guess it takes a while to add that stuff up, which is, was our first full month in operation. And we probably did about, you'll see, we did about 3 million in handle for the month, which is, you know, a 10 X over the 300 in handle that we did in the two weeks when we just opened up the door, wouldn't let anybody in November. I would probably say we've, we've probably doubled our handle yet again over what we did in October. It's pretty good. We're starting to see players are organically finding us up and down the spectrum. You know, we've had some, some large players come in, but we're starting to get the more recreational public player by, you know, we'll say judging by size and stakes, they're starting to find us as well, which is really kind of amazing since we don't do any marketing. I mean, we're going to, we've still been kind of nailing down a couple of bibs and bobs here to get ourselves to full wingspan. The biggest piece was adding credit card processing and debit card processing, which we just did about a week and a half ago. And I think that's the thing that's really stirred also the, now the entry of a lot of, uh, smaller stakes players is because they're the ones who tend to do debit card, credit card deposits in the first place. Anyway, just by number of transactions, uh, that immediately leapt up and more or less equaled what we see in the type of transactions with bigger players use ACH and and bank wire. So, you know, maybe a little too much inside baseball for the average person, but from a payments perspective, hey, look, that's a really important part of the industry. I think we finally have the balance here now where we can go out. It's great that we've doubled up both months on our handle. Now it's time to really start to hit it, I think, and really start to get full spread in Ohio and then get ourselves well positioned for when we go live in New Jersey. And Adam, in this podcast, as well as some other interviews that you've done around Prime's launch, I've heard you mention really looking at this is not even, I think you said so much of a marathon is more of an ultra marathon, like really coming up for air after the World Cup several years down the road to get a true read on how all this is going. And with that framework in mind, two months in, just some little milestones along the way, any early read from your end on how things are progressing with Prime's growth in the market? Oh, again, I mean, I come into this knowing that it was a long journey, you know, for me, don't really care about the handle too much. It's more of, again, the results and seeing what it is. I believe we held what we expected in October and should put us, 
you know, looking at September numbers, 13th, 14th or something on the chart, which again was great starting out in number 20 where we belonged in September. But I think what that's what most of this is a journey of it can be done a different way. It can be done in our opinion, the right way. We're not looking to take market share off the already existing operations. We're looking to take market share from the unregulated market, which is what we've generally sold the regulators to do this differently, to do it our way, be patient with us. Same with the partners. Again, you know, all these need market accesses. So they're going to be seeing reports coming out and thinking, well, you know, why don't you, why aren't you up here, down here, wherever else? And again, as Joe said, there's been no real marketing. They just added another processor. It's really been, take it slow and easy, see where we're at, you know, digging into these bonuses and the way the players can really abuse the way that the regulators have structured this. Offering bonuses is almost an impossible task going forward as well. So, you know, you need to come up with new and fresh ways to do it. You know, I haven't gotten too much hands-on in the first few months with some of the ideas that I had planned to do or plan to do going forward. But again, it's see what the numbers are, try and make a little bit of money, cover some expenses and build it from there. Again, yes, I've always been targeting that World Cup in 2026, but let's see what next year brings. We've got the Euros, we've got Olympics, we've got a lot of things coming up over the next 8, 10, 12 months that we will specialize in versus some of the other operators. And you know, that's what we use it as our marketing product. Yeah. And just on that point, like that one, I thought one of the most exciting things that happened over the weekend, besides the NFL and all, was over the weekend was the Indian Premier League's draft for the limited overs cricket leagues and would be sharp betters. Uh, if you're not betting cricket, I, I got to ask you why. I mean, it's data rich. It's made for you clients out there. And it's something that we're going to be offering. You know, and we really looking to, to create some audiences for that. Uh, we know the states that we're going to be in, the markets that we're going to be in. That's a real opportunity for us, particularly in some of like the South Asian immigrant communities. But that IPL draft that happened over the weekend was probably one of the top three most important things that happened in sports over the weekend. So just excited to see what Adam is able to do as far as adding diversity to the menu rather than this like, oh, we're going to offer 30,000 different props on, on the NFL or, or NBA on these things. It's like, hey, let's add other sports and try and increase awareness, particularly to the player who aspires to being a sharp, being a pro and say like, hey, look, this is a real opportunity for you guys. If you're not looking at it, you should be. And here's why. Joe, one follow-up question to that topic, and this is a fair game for either of you guys. When I hear you say that, I think of a parallel I often hear across the NFL betting media verse, which would be that if you see a, a known sharp book that's a market maker offering the best price in the world on a certain game, that's probably for a reason. And if you're a sharp better, then, then maybe you want to leave that alone. And when I hear you kind of enticing bettors who are sharp or aspiring to be sharp to come bet cricket with Prime Sports, I think of that offering as a nice differentiator for Prime and could be something that can bring in some more handle on your side of the counter. But for betters, if Prime is the only book offering a market like that, or if Prime is aspiring to be a market maker in that regard, what would you say is in it for betters on the other side of the counter so that they can hope in the long term? They're not just funneling money into your pockets. So sorry. Are you asking me, Matt, if I'm just setting a bear trap for sharps and would be sharps by, hey, yeah, come in. We've got this pit of quicksand over here known as limited overs cricket. Why'd you give it a try? No, it, it's different. Like other books, I'm pretty sure offer somewhere deep down 
in their menu of games that they don't particularly curate or anything like that. They just stack up one on another. It's like going into Costco and seeing boxes stacked on one another, but there's no $1.50 hot dog. No, one of the reasons why we like it is because of course, you know, we are catering to a different, you know, at least the brand is catering to a different type of profile of better. I mean, we'll take a bet from anybody, but we are really interested in capturing that better who right now is either continuing to bet offshore or he's continuing to bet on the street because he, he can't find a place. And one of the best ways of doing that is saying like, Hey, look, broaden your mind. Do we think that we're going to blow everybody's doors off taking cricket bets? No, it's more of the, as Adam says, you know, often like this is about cultivating a long-term relationship with betters, not because we've given them so much bonus money to capture them in the first place. And it's going to take two and a half years of winning SGPs on them like DraftKings in order to be able to just hit break even for acquiring them. It's different for us. It's more of the, all right, we, we want betters to see us as their bookie for the long term. And if anything, to be their, their primary bookie that they judge the rest of the market by. And if we can help broaden the market by getting people to look at these sports that they've not yet looked at. And there's really, there's no reason. COVID happened. Suddenly everybody was a table tennis fiend. And for some reason, probably because there's one or two total high limit degenerates in Colorado, it's continued to be in some markets a decent sport for, for betting handle. And we just want to see the same thing happen here. There's no honey trap here. We're really going to get them in, in their ears back. It's, it's just another sport to broaden our handle on. All right. Well, something I picked up on from both of you over the course of our first segment was a bit of a tension between betters placing money into the regulated market versus the unregulated market. And I think that gives us a nice bridge into our water cooler segment this week. The headline being that U.S. sports betting is on pace to hit $100 billion in wagers in 2023. And this is according to a November 21st article by Eric Fisher in Front Office Sports. For added context here, a recent report from the American Gaming Association found that Americans bet $23 billion on sports during the third quarter of this year, an increase of almost a third year over year. Guys, two questions on this front. First and foremost, when we're talking about a growth rate of about a third year over year, is a growth rate that rapid a healthy thing? Or what kind of pros and cons do you suss out when you see numbers like that? Well, I think you have to have a matter. It, it's a matter of perspective. How much of that growth was based on new markets and new sports coming on board? You know, I mean, we're talking Ohio. Ohio is a pretty substantial market. So the amount of handle that Ohio has contributed, you know, that's organic growth by addition of additional markets. As far as growth of the amount that an individual that unique bettors are betting, yeah, I, I don't think that's really played out here yet. I, one thing I do think is more of a concern is, is like, okay, of that handle, which as a side note, if it was $150 billion, it still doesn't even approach the number or the size of the sports betting market that National Gambling Impact Study assumed the U.S. market was back in the late 1990s during the Clinton administration. The FBI assumed that the market was somewhere between 300 and 500 billion. So we still haven't hit even close to that. And it also gives you an idea of, okay, well, for all the regulated markets handle that we've brought on board, there's still an awful lot of money out there. Uh, and you can ask Adam what he thinks of it. He normally says it's like between a dollar and two dollars. I think the big issue now is in the growth in the market is, is how the products that the big operators are using 
to grow their market. And it's this really, this this over-reliance on parlays, you know, SGPs, curated parlays. And now they've really gone down the rabbit hole on that because they want to turn this into a margin rather than a volume business. And there is a kind of a question as to like, are you eventually going to burn out your sports betting customer? Since obviously, yeah, parlays are really hard to hit. And when the, the leading brands are just jamming them down your throat instead of on single bets and things like that. And for them, it just makes it easier for them because they don't have to be good bookmakers. Uh, they just have to let the math uh, do the work for them. It makes their investors on Wall Street or City of London happy because they see growing margins, growing revenues. You'll hear some folks talk about like, oh, well, you know, people play the lottery and the lottery's not going out of the business. And, but there's a big difference between somebody buying a $2 ticket for the Powerball lottery that has a million or a billion dollar play out and saying like, yeah, what the hell? And then what you do with parlay betting. I would say it's not encouraging when you see uh, this second really big season of parlays and focus on SGP. It's not really encouraging when you see one of the market leaders, in this case, it's DraftKings. Their answer to this, their innovation is let's go for progressive jackpot parlays, which really isn't a new product. It's an old wine and a new bottle, as they say, but it's to just amp up on parlays even more, inject them with even more steroids. I have a concern about how that affects the sports betting customer, how it may fatigue them. It's not good for us if they start to necessarily lose their customers because they're convincing a segment of the population that sports betting, you can't beat it or whatever. It, you know, FanDuel, DraftKings, those guys, they're actually creating customers for us because you know, some of these players, a certain percentage of them are going to get to a certain level and they're going to say like, Hey, I want to do this for real and doing it for real is betting with like a prime sports or betting with a circus sports. And so that's why we watch this thing really close. And, and we're not just saying like, uh, watch those guys burn down their house. It does concern you when the market leaders are so focused on a game to drive their revenues that they're more than happy to take bigger and bigger scoops of money out of the player's hands return less and less money to the players and will that have a fatiguing effect over the long term so when i hear that answer a couple of takeaways i have are one it's not just the ultimate number 100 billion dollars but it's how are we getting to a number like that and then is a second part is that sustainable so adam i'll, I'll use that context to kick it over to you one note that i took away from this report was also that an important detail being these numbers are for regulated wagers and from burdens on operators, such as tax rates or legal hurdles, to burdens on betters, which could be limited options, if any options in a lot of states, or the potential of being limited if they show any ability to win at a lot of books. How much money do you think is being either left on the street here in the US or sent offshore around the world when we say $100 billion? That, that sounds like a big number at face value, but kind of something Joe touched on it. It could be a much bigger figure globally. What would you pin a hundred? billion dollar U.S. market at in terms of the percentage of what the global betting market really could be that Americans are putting down? Yeah, well, I've always said it, and I just sold it recently at the IAGA uh, conference in Botswana. Again, I believe it's, you know, one to two dollars is still on the left of the table that the regulated market is doing. You know, a New Jersey, again, being established a bit more, you know, for every dollar, I still think it's probably a dollar, a dollar 25. I mean, the U.S., you still have Two of the biggest states not even involved yet, plus Florida, which again has one operator. And again, there's, you know, they're probably five 
10x of what they're actually reporting still uh, not being captured. So there's still a lot. And again, you know, terminologies offshore, corner bookie, whatever else, you know, it's collected as the unregulated market. And again, I think globally, a lot of countries are having the same struggles, whether it's heavy burdens on taxes, as you say. Now in the UK, these affordability checks, you know, that was one of the things I pushed while the US is having in the infancy of this for most states. Australia, which has had legal sports betting for 30 years, is losing a lot of business. You know, regulators recently went and asked Curacao regulators to help them remove some of these uh, grey market operators. The UK with the affordability checks, you know, airing a flood of players that are now looking to go elsewhere through other means. So again, you know, the US isn't alone in this, but for me, I've always sort of said, even these regulated states like a strong New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, I still believe it's a dollar to $2 for every dollar reported that's uncaptured. And again, that's kind of what we've sold regulators from day one of explaining what our background is, what our history is, what we're trying to do here. And, you know, for everyone that shit cans the business model and that of it's too hard as to this, you know, you're going to hold two, 3%. Yeah, but again, we're not looking to chip into the market share of the already regulated operators right now. We'll come after them later on. But for now, it's just capturing that dollar that doesn't have a home right now. And again, the ease of use, we've seen this for the under $50 better that are going to a DraftKings, a FanDuel instead of going elsewhere. Because again, there's a lot less friction now than what there has been in the past. You know, even bigger betters, again, the Americans, I always sort of hear about the well, the taxes, no one will want to bet this because of taxes and you got to do this, you got to do that. Again, generally, these are people that have the money. It's income that's been taxed previously. They have excess of it. They want to gamble it. So again, it's, you know, there's a lot of misnomers and a lot of misinformation out there that's kind of giving us the opportunity to push forward. And again, all the numbers become public. They'll see what we grow as we grow along. And again, I don't believe we're chipping into any of the current regulated market, what well, capturing that 3 million in October, double it in November, I believe is uh, 80% of it wasn't seen in the regulated market anyway. From money being left on the table across the US regulated market to a lot of money recently being pumped back into betters accounts after what we saw across the NFL this weekend. Guys, we'll wrap it up with a couple of quick hitters in our look ahead segment. And to lead that off, per David Purdom of ESPN, NFL favorites started the week going 11 and three against the spread. That was before Baltimore covered against the Chargers on Sunday night and Minnesota failed to cover against Chicago to wrap up week 12 on Monday night. So when all is said and done, favorites go 12 and four against the spread and the NFL in week 12. And for some context, 12 favorites covering in one week ties a record in the Super Bowl era. And I'll note a caveat, there were more games this past week, 16, then there were teams in the league when the Super Bowl era began. That number was 15. But still, a clear boon for betters who backed favorites this past weekend. And for good measure, one game we can focus on for a moment here, that thriller between Buffalo and Joe's Philadelphia Eagles. Based on line movement throughout the week, some betters took Buffalo plus 3.5 and, and Philadelphia minus 2.5. So seemingly everyone cashed with that three-point win by Joe's beloved Eagles. Adam, I'm hearing Prime was a rare exception. Could you uh, confirm if that's the case and perhaps why that might be? Again, you know, it ended up a good game from everything that I saw, you know, not needing to jump around those numbers. Some people bought it on and off, part of what they pay for the price of it. You know, in the end, it was an all right result. But I think overall, the whole weekend, 
the savior was the unders. Again, if you get a 12 and was it 12 and three, 12 and four in the end of it, and you also had the overs go a similar number, then, you know, the bookies are heading to the loan sharks to get their weekly payouts and whatnot, because it would have been a disaster. Uh, at the end of it, you know, all those favorite winnings, uh, I don't believe hurt anyone too much because of the unders saving a lot of it as well. All in all, it, yes, 12 and four is a scary number, but it wasn't as bad as what that may be perceived again from our side of the table out there, who else, you know, damage that may have been done on other book, you know, we'll know when these numbers are published or articles start coming out about how horrific this favorite weekend was. And for any regulators who may have stumbled onto this podcast, of course, Adam is being completely facetious when he suggests that we get backup risk capital from loan sharks. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, in, in a forward looking sense, one, one more follow up to cap this off in the spirit of the name of this segment. What do you make of an outlier result like this when a marquee game middles favorites go 12 and four against the spread? I know unders were a bit of a saving grace, but a lot of bigger books that cater to a more recreational crowd probably feeling some heat after last weekend's results. When it comes to how prime sports approaches things moving forward after an extreme weekend like this, how, if at all, does that shape the perspective? It doesn't make a difference. Again, this is a long game. Uh, if you're getting rattled over a couple of bad weeks, you're really struggling or really in trouble. Again, there's probably some books out there that are in that position because they just hold a certain number or they take a certain client and they're restricting all those other players that would have ultimately balanced. There's people that want to bet the underdogs as well. You move that number to a certain precipice and then there's people for the other side. Unfortunately, what a lot of these operators and companies have done is excluded these players that would have happily have been on all these plus numbers and gone four and 12 themselves. So again, it's, it's a numbers game. It's a long-term game. You'll have bad weeks. You'll have bad results. You'll have nightmares that you wake up in sweats after some weekends, but it's a long-term game. I mean, that's ultimately what it's turns into. And again, doing this for almost 30 years, you know, the bad side of it is you come a little numb to it all, but the other aspect of it is again, the hills and valleys, and you've just got to ride it out. I like that, Adam, bringing things full circle. Yeah, it's a great marketing opportunity. Like there's nothing better than bookies saying like, oh, we really got beat up. People, the public was just stealing money from us. Imagine that you're going to see probably a bump in handle this week because everybody's going to say how soft the market is. They're going to get on it and there's going to be, people are going to be going long on favorites again this weekend. So we'll see how it goes. And while we may see a bump in handle this week, I think it's a wise word of caution that we can't promise the run of favorites covering at a historic rate will continue, but we can promise you'll find value if you follow our calls to action as we wrap up this show. You can register for Prime Sports at primesports.com. You can also download the Prime Sports app and you can follow Prime Sports on Twitter at Prime Sportsbook. Feel free to message us there with any questions or segment ideas. We want to make sure that we're making this show as valuable as possible to you, the audience. You can also follow Joe on Twitter at Joe Brennan Jr. and Adam on Twitter at Adam Bjorn 2. You can find links to all of the above in the show notes. Last but not least, everybody, thanks for listening this week, and we'll see you again next week right back here on Prime Suspects. You must be 21 or over to play on Prime Sports. Always bet responsibly and within your limits. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER.